0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promot rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: I've seen
2: weird things in my time: crashes, scandals, and resignations. But the last three and a half weeks are right up there among the most astonishing, culminating in what the French call a volte-face, Or is it farce?
1: In over two decades of covering the economy, I've never quite experienced a day like today.
3: The massive reversals, I think, are a scale of the
2: predicament the government sees itself in. It all started with something the government called a fiscal event. As a government, we will focus on growth, even where that means taking difficult decisions. Former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's mini budget, brought to the House of Commons on the 23rd of September, was growth, 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 achieved by cut, cut, cut taxes. I can announce that we are cutting stamp duty.
0: Corporation tax
2: rate will not rise to 25%. It will remain at 19% and we will have the lowest rate of corporation tax in the G20. I can announce today that we will cut the basic rate of income tax to 19 pence in April 2023. I'm not going to cut the additional rate of tax today, Mr. Speaker. I'm going to abolish it altogether. From April the 23rd Hardly had the cheers died away then so did the government's economic credibility the market reaction was brutal.
1: Now, the British pound has fallen to its lowest level ever against the US dollar.
2: It's down by
4: about a full cent against the dollar in a matter of a few seconds. The Bank of England will have to step in. Interest rate expectations have absolutely shot up, hitting 6%
2: next summer. After two score days of mounting financial chaos, last week... One of the two principal architects of it all, like the scapegoat councillor to an unpopular king, got the axe. When Kwasi Kwarteng's successor, Jeremy Hunt, addressed the nation in an emergency announcement yesterday morning, he simply ditched the whole Trust Kwarteng plan.
4: We will reverse almost all the tax measures announced in the growth plan three weeks ago that have not started parliamentary legislation.
2: This is from the mini budget right and it's basically that's kept gone 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 that's kept gone, gone 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 right after the biggest tax cuts in half a century we have a turn so sudden that you doesn't begin to describe it trust world has been turned upside down So where does this all leave us? Are we safe now? Is she, with nearly every promise from Liz Truss's campaign scrapped, what does this mean for her 43-day-old premiership? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, can the new Chancellor save the economy and the Prime Minister? Later on, I'll speak to Henry Zeffman from Westminster about the politics of all of this. All the conversations I've had with Conservative MPs is that Liz
3: Truss will not lead them into the next election and the only disagreement is over when
2: and how she's removed. But we're going to start with the economics. How did this even happen?
1: I'm Artie Nachepern. I'm economics correspondent at The Times.
2: Artie, Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget was, well, just over three weeks ago the headline on it of course was he was proposing to borrow quite a lot of money to cut taxes and the idea was that the economy would grow fairly rapidly and be able to pay that money back now we've got a new chancellor and we've seen one of the biggest u-turns actually the biggest u-turn i have ever seen in my life as a journalist so let's talk about how it happened tell us a bit about what caused this complete reversal
1: So there were a few things that were very unconventional about the way that Kwasi Kwarteng went about his fiscal statement. So he didn't release any forecasts from the official forecaster that he normally would have commissioned to go alongside his statement. And they would effectively say, this is how much the government's going to be borrowing. Will there be a hole in the balance sheet? There was none of that accountability. And he also didn't fund them, which left everyone assuming that the way that this would work is through extra government borrowing. So all of this added together led investors to take flight because they've thought, what's going on in the UK? Things don't make sense. Let me take my money and put it somewhere more low risk. And that's led to the pound falling to a record low against the dollar. And that's left the government scrambling to pick up the pieces.
2: Also, for those of us who've been around uh, a bit of time and know some of the key personnel, getting rid of the top person at the Treasury, Tom Scholar, by quasi-quieting the moment he came in, That didn't exactly impress people with confidence, did it?
1: No, it didn't. And I think that the way that they've gone about it, I think, has baffled a lot of experts. It has a bit of an air of arrogance about it. We don't need to do things the way that they had previously been done. We don't need to be held accountable in the same way. And they're more than paying the price for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the places where they paid the price, which people really don't know a lot about, is the bond markets. Can you just explain why the bond markets became such a big factor in unravelling the government's plans.
1: So when the government didn't say how they were going to fund their tax cuts, people assumed they were going to borrow. And the way the government borrows is using bonds when they're government bonds, they're known as gilts, and they are effectively an IOU. So if you buy into a gilt, gilt holders will receive a cash payment every six months until the end of the term, which can be two years, 10 years, 20 years, when they'll get their original money back. And the higher the yield on these gilts, the more the government is spending on borrowing money. So the the cost has been going up quite a lot as investors have been taking their money out of these bonds.
2: And then you have the position whereby the Bank of England has to intervene to save pension funds.
1: Yes. The big problem here is that pension funds started also selling the bonds as a result of this mass sell-off. And so the Bank of England intervened to prevent this and prevent a collapse that would effectively have wiped out people's pensions.
0: The Bank of England announced today it will buy unlimited quantities of government bonds at a, quote, urgent pace action carried out on quote, whatever scale is necessary to ease investor concerns. They referred to
3: the fire sale dynamics. Are our pension funds at risk?
4: Uh, No, our pension funds aren't at risk. Um, Some pension funds have taken some high risk investments.
0: The move comes after Governor Andrew Bailey urged pension funds to rebalance quickly, saying, quote, my message is you've got three days left now.
1: You've got to get this done.
4: Intervention. A dramatic intervention.
1: And guilt yields go through into the rates that people get for their fixed term mortgages. So those go up.
4: But I repeat what,
3: what I've said already. We will not hesitate to raise interest rates to meet the inflation target. And as things stand today, my best guess is that inflationary pressures will require a stronger response than we perhaps fought in August.
2: Now, a lot of us have had difficulty, those of us who are not as expert in this as you are, in trying to work out how all this works. So the Bank of England is increasing interest rates faster than they would have done. Now, the problem for the rest of us is our cost of living is going up. And then the Bank of England comes in and interest rates going, uh, go up even more, meaning people are going to have to pay more on a typical mortgage. So why did the Bank of England increase interest rates and thus jack up the cost of people's mortgages?
1: The Bank of England's remit is inflation. They are worried that the policies, which have now a lot of them been reversed, of giving... Effectively, the richest people in the economy, more money will mean more spending in the economy and that's going to push up prices even further. And the bank has been repeatedly questioned on why are you increasing the pain for households at a time when we're going through a cost of living crisis already? And their response has been, we're doing this now to avoid further pain later and we will have to do even worse if inflation is allowed to continue rising because we'll have exactly the same problems but exacerbated. So what they're trying to do is nip it In the bud. I mean, it's already gone quite far, but they're trying to not allow it to go even further.
2: And we should just note that at this point, the Bank of England's intervention, increasing interest rates, is fighting the government's way of paying off its tax cuts, which is growth, because you can't really have both.
1: That's what has really confused the markets, is the fact that the government is going one way, the Bank of England is going the other way, and they didn't really know what to make of it. If the government were able to set interest rates, then Liz Truss might have been able to say, oh, well, don't worry, we'll keep interest rates low as well, so you can just go on and spend.
2: Except no one would have trusted her, so it wouldn't have worked.
1: Yes, exactly. So the
2: Bank of England had stepped in to save pension funds, but then it said there was a deadline and all the help that it was going to give would stop last Friday. And some economists describe this as a kind of game of chicken between the Bank of England and the government.
1: Something needed to happen. I think we know we've had the, the Bank of England very much playing a game of chicken, if you like, with the Chancellor. And the
2: now- Does that explain why Jeremy Hunts had really to announce all of this today?
1: Yes, essentially, the Bank of England has purchased nearly 20 billion worth of government bonds. And this is because it had to prevent a collapse in the pensions industry. Now, that came to an end on Friday. And so, effectively, what Jeremy Hunt has had to do is step in right before the markets open.
2: And so, at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, before it was even light, the Treasury released a highly unusual statement saying the Chancellor would address Parliament in the afternoon around 3.30. In Treasury-speak, he'd be bringing forward measures from the medium-term fiscal plan, or in English...
1: Wait, we have something to say. We're going to deal with it. Don't worry.
2: Such was the possibility of premature panic. Hunt asked permission from the Speaker of the House to make a TV appearance at 11am to try and calm things down a bit early in the day. Good morning. So, Artie, we're speaking on Monday afternoon, and earlier this morning, Jeremy Hunt made a statement and put more details on what he was planning to do, including giving some details about forward spending that Quasi Quarteng wasn't planning to give us until Halloween. And what was all this about?
1: He's reversed almost all of the mini-budget tax cuts.
2: It
4: is not right to borrow to fund this tax cut. So I've decided that the basic rate of income tax will remain at 20 percent and it will do so indefinitely.
1: And he said that the Treasury has calculated this would raise every
4: year around 32 billion pounds.
1: Now the gap that has been estimated in the public finances as around £70 billion. So we've still got about £28 billion that is unaccounted for. And Hunt is trying to account for this by reducing the energy price guarantee and by saying that he might look at areas where spending could be cut.
4: This is a landmark policy supporting millions of people through a difficult winter. And today I want to confirm that the support we are providing between now and April next year will not change. But beyond that, the Prime Minister and I have agreed it would not be responsible to continue exposing public finances to unlimited volatility in international gas prices. So I'm announcing today a Treasury-led review into how we support energy bills beyond April next year.
2: It's fair to say, isn't it, that no one had expected them to look at the energy price guarantee again. No one had predicted that.
1: No, they hadn't. He's gone far further than expected. Part of this is to buy a little bit of time to put a bit of detail in that policy because we're currently... In a position where everyone's bills are being subsidised to some extent. And I imagine what they're going to try to move towards in six months is more of a means-tested way of doing that. But the forecast that we were getting based on gas prices, we're putting energy bills at above 6,000 a year. So whether any households will really be able to deal with that could be really incendiary around that time in April.
2: Right here. And the other things that have gone is the cut in the basic rate which was brought forward, that's gone.
1: Yes, that has gone. So he said that we're not doing that until the finances are in a better order.
2: Now, there are presumably all kinds of other little bits and bobs of tax cuts, which they were going to suggest have gone. But the increase to national insurance contributions, which was taken back by Kwasi Kwarteng, that remains taken back.
1: Yes, that one does. And that is a reversal of what Rishi Sunak did earlier in the year. That has already gone through the House of Commons and it's been passed. So that's a bit of a more tricky one to have gone back on if they'd tried to.
2: Right. Now, when we look at the afford planning on public spending, no details yet of any kind, not even a target figure, but some quite ominous talk.
1: Yes.
4: All departments will need to redouble their efforts to find savings and some areas of spending will need to be cut. But as I promised at the weekend, our priority in making the difficult decisions that lie ahead will always be the most vulnerable.
1: Jeremy Hunt's wording is that efficiencies, quote unquote, need to be made. And the issue that he will have in doing this is that the biggest areas of public spending are state pensions, benefits and public sector pay. They really would struggle to find any area that they could justify cutting. So that will be something that is very politically unpopular if they do try and go ahead with that.
2: And of course, Liz Truss said in Parliament fairly recently that there would be no spending cuts.
1: Yes, she has promised that, but everything that she's promised has gone down the drain. So why should we believe that her promises on spending will remain?
2: Do we have any idea of the scale of spending reductions which would have to be made in order to convince the markets that the government was properly balancing the books? In other words, what's he going to have to announce in two weeks' time?
1: I think on one side, there is to some extent the possibility that Jeremy Hunt could allay the concerns of the markets by cutting spending and trying to cut that 28 billion black hole that we have got at the moment. But on the other hand, I've spoken to analysts who've said that It's irreversible, the damage that has been done. Essentially, it's not just the fiscal sustainability that markets look at. They also look at the government's ability to get people behind their policies, the government's ability to boost growth and curtail inflation, and also political stability. Whatever happens, we're not getting that political stability back under this administration, particularly not with Jeremy Hunt effectively taking the reins and Liz Truss taking a back seat. So they won't fully be able to get the confidence of investors back. They might be able to bring it back a little bit, but that's where we come to the pressure on Liz Truss as Prime Minister. Is her position tenable?
2: You raise a really interesting point. There's a tendency to see what the markets find credible and what is politically credible as two different things. But of course, what you're saying is the market will look at whether a proposal has credibility politically. In other words, whether it can be carried through. And if they decide it doesn't, then they probably won't be allayed by it.
1: Exactly that. And so if we've got a government that doesn't look like it will be able to see through policies that will deliver economic health, then that is also a sign that they should be moving their money elsewhere.
2: So if it looked as if the government was going to make spending cut commitments at the end of the month that actually looked politically impossible, then investors might not actually have confidence in them. Growth requires confidence
4: and stability and the United Kingdom will always pay its way.
2: Now, Liz Truss went to her party and said, elect me as your leader and therefore as Prime Minister because I have a plan for growth based on tax cuts. Is that plan, in your view, now dead?
1: Effectively, yes it's at least dead for the next couple of years because there are other priorities. We have to bring down inflation first. We have to get out of the inevitable recession and we have to stabilize the currency. Now, the issue is that that was her entire selling point coming into government. And she didn't actually have an electoral mandate to go ahead with that. So she has put the party in quite a precarious position by both running on that bill of a low tax economy and then also not delivering it.
2: That's the economics, but what about the politics? Coming up, will Prime Minister Liz Truss be able to survive the scrapping of her entire economic strategy? That's after a quick message from a colleague. Hi, I'm Patrick Maguire, Red Box editor of The Times. From Partygate to Ukraine, there's never been a more interesting time to cover British politics, and I'm lucky enough to do it every single day. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
3: associate political editor of The Times. And increasingly, that is the task of chronicling conservative leadership crises, which come round roughly every six weeks or so.
2: Talking of conservative leadership crises, let's talk about the leader of the Conservative Party. Liz Truss has been in office for, I think, 43 days. We've seen the pound crash, interest rates rise, She sacked one chancellor. And now her new one, was reversing almost everything that she had done. Now, what have MPs said to you today about her? They are mostly reeling from the shock of the last
3: few days. Even if some of them had come to believe it was inevitable that Liz Truss would have to reverse parts of her mini-budget, I don't think any of them predicted that Liz Truss would first cut her Chancellor and one of her closest allies in politics adrift and then appoint a replacement who would repudiate almost every single measure. Pretty well, all the conversations I've had with Conservative MPs is that Liz Truss will not lead them into the next election, and the only disagreement is over when and how she's removed, not
2: whether she will be removed. Now, before we come on to the business of removing her, she's going to have to go through Prime Minister's questions. And she's going to have what Jeremy Hunt put back to her. And I just can't quite envisage it.
3: To some degree, it's about mindset. I mean, if you are willing to be humiliated, and that's what has happened to Liz Truss today, then what is 30 minutes at the dispatch box to add to that? She has clearly calculated that her only choice was between sticking with an economic policy which was spooking the markets and would have resulted in her being ousted as prime minister, or taking the risk of recanting that with all the embarrassment that entails, and hoping that in that path there is some sort of way that she might be able to cling on. I mean, look, I've just hot-footed it to speak to you from the House of Commons chamber, where Sir Keir Starmer, Liz Truss's Labour counterpart, was granted an urgent question to ask her about her economic plans, and she didn't turn up. She sent Penny Morden in her place.
1: With apologies to the leader of the opposition and the House, the PM is detained on urgent business. <laughs> and
0: and they, will,
2: they
1: will have to make do.
4: I must hear the answer of why the Prime Minister is not here. <laughs> I'm
1: afraid you will have to make do with me, Mr Speaker.
4: Penny Morden,
3: who had to say at one point that no, Liz Truss was not, hiding under a desk.
1: The Prime Minister is not uh, under a desk, as the uh, She, with regret, she is not here for a very good reason.
3: I mean, that is deeply embarrassing. And once you've accepted that, what is Prime Minister's questions but merely more embarrassment to compound the existing embarrassment?
2: Now, of course, an awful lot of people read something even into that. They said Penny Morton didn't have to repeat the question back. She didn't have to say the under a desk bit because that would at least avoid it being clipped out onto the television thing. But she did say it.
3: Yeah, I'm inclined to lean towards that slightly more cynical interpretation of what Penny Morton was up to. People like Penny Morton are going to start thinking about what they might do in the eventuality of Liz Truss leaving office. Of course, Penny Morden came third in the leadership election that took place this summer. And she is a viable, plausible candidate to succeed Liz Truss. And what she was gifted by Liz Truss was the opportunity for her to audition against Keir Starmer across the dispatch box. And she was on a very sticky wicket. And I think a lot of Conservative MPs will think that she played it pretty well.
1: We will take whatever tough decisions are necessary, which the Chancellor is waiting to update the House on as soon as this urgent question finishes.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker, and thank you to the Right Honourable Member for Portsmouth North for answering the question put to the Prime Minister. I guess under this Tory government, everybody gets to be Prime Minister for 15 minutes. (laughs) Now, if... Liz Truss wasn't under a desk. Do we actually know for that period where she was? What
3: sources in Downing Street were saying is she was having important meetings, the sorts of meetings that you have all day, every day as prime minister. Fundamentally, if she'd wanted to attend, she could have attended. I think Liz Truss did duck quite an important political moment today. She could have come out fighting. She could have said to Conservative MPs. I am not embarrassed. Here I am reinventing myself. You can give me more time to reinvent myself as uh, a fiscal Conservative, a fiscal disciplinarian. And instead, she gave Penny Morda an opportunity and she gave Jeremy Hunt, another possible successor, an opportunity to rally the Conservative benches behind what is, of course, the complete obverse economic strategy to the one that she was flaunting at the dispatch box at Prime Minister's Questions just last week. I mean, it is dizzying.
2: Now, the Conservative Party, even I know this, has a rule which says you can't choose a new leader within a year after a leadership contest. And we are well within that year. We're We're nowhere near to the end of it. Are there any ways the party could change this?
3: Yes, it's straightforward in rules terms, even if it's, of course, not straightforward politically and would be seismic in terms of its consequences. The 1922 committee, which is the sort of grand way that we just referred to the entirety of the Conservative Parliamentary Party, elects officers and an executive. And by simply a majority vote of that group of just under 20 Conservative MPs, those rules can be changed. And we reported in The Times on Monday morning that some of those officers actually started the discussion about how that might work on Friday night, just hours after Liz trust sat quasi Kwarteng and replaced it with Jeremy Hunt. And that gives you a sense of how fast those conversations are moving in the, as cliche demands we refer to it, smoke-filled rooms of mm. the Houses of Parliament.
2: Now, how likely is it that this is going to happen, do you think? Take us through the scenarios and take us through the possible candidates.
3: I think it's certainly possible that the rules are changed. I think it is also possible that Liz Truss is removed without the rules being changed. That is, I think, the most likely scenario in which Liz Truss goes. It just becomes clear that she doesn't have support anymore. In terms of the runners and riders, I have spoken to a few Conservative MPs who talk up the prospect of Boris Johnson. But the general consensus is that Liz Truss has faltered too quickly for Boris Johnson to to succeed. The memory of why he was removed is too fresh. So I think you end up with uh, about four plausible candidates. Rishi Sunak, who finished second this summer. And the case for Rishi Sunak is that Liz Truss is now following his economic policies anyway. So why not have their author as prime minister? The drawback of Rishi Sunak is that, as we saw in the summer, there's a very large number of MPs who will never forgive him for his role in orchestrating Boris Johnson's downfall. The next candidate would be Penny Mordaunt, the leader of the House of Commons. She finished third in this summer's leadership election. Her strength is that she is a pretty good dispatch box performer. She has a fairly wide base of support across the parliamentary party. But her weakness, I think, is that she's untested really in a big job. She was briefly defence secretary at the end of the Theresa May government, but really very briefly, a matter of weeks, a sort of trust-length period in office, as we might start to (laughs) (laughs) refer to it. I think the next candidate is, extraordinarily, Jeremy Hunt, who Liz Truss resurrected on Friday. Now, Jeremy Hunt, of course, was in the cabinet continuously from 2010 to 2019. He was the runner-up to Boris Johnson in the 2019 leadership election. He tried to run from the back benches for leader this summer and performed dismally. But funny things happen in politics, and he is suddenly there right in the thick of things, showing Conservative MPs that he can, in some circumstances, be a steady hand at the tiller. And the final person who I think is in the frame is Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, who was for a time the frontrunner this summer. He's the grassroots favourite that decided not to run. The positives of him is that he's very much identified with the UK, supportive of Ukraine, and he seems pretty popular, both with the public and with Conservative members. On the other hand, like Penny Morden, no experience in a significant economic brief, kind of unclear what he thinks about almost anything beyond defence. <laughs> so I think that would be a rather large risk in that respect if he were to succeed in this
2: trust. The polls show that 60% of the electorate want a general election. Problem is that the Conservatives have to vote for a general election in Parliament for there, essentially, for there to be one. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I think it's extremely unlikely that you get a general
3: election. Turkeys don't vote for Christmas.
2: Is Liz Truss, if she tries to say, not essentially a, a lame duck in that she can never get anything through that a large number of Tories don't want?
3: Yes. And I think that's a huge reason for why most MPs I speak to assume that she will eventually be removed. And the particular thing to think about with Liz Truss is that she had a very clear reason for becoming prime minister. Not all prime ministers do. Famously, David Cameron said he wanted to be prime minister because he thought he'd be good at it. Liz Truss's reason was that she wanted to cut taxes and slash regulations. She's no longer doing those things. And it's not particularly clear to me what the alternative case for her staying in number 10 is. She's not got a mandate from the general public, as, for example, John Major retained from 1992. Even after Black Wednesday, he could always say, I won the 1992 general election, and for that matter, against the odds. I think most Conservative MPs would not endorse the idea that should be particularly good at a general election. So what is the point of Liz Truss, is the question you hear in Westminster.
2: Henry? What happens next? We had the actual budget pencilled in for Halloween. Is that going to be stuck to, And what happens then?
3: Yes, we're still expecting what they're calling the medium term fiscal plan on October the 31st. I think a lot of Conservative MPs are minded to give trust and hunt until then to sort of calm the markets, though events might move quicker than that. What happens then is Jeremy Hunt is going to have to explain what some of these further difficult decisions he's referred to on several occasions today are but look it's an open question whether Liz Truss makes it that far I think if I had to put money on it I'd say she would but I would ascribe very high uncertainty levels to that prediction because politics is just moving very fast at the moment
2: so if anybody places a bet they can't get their money back from you (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) okay
1: I do want to accept responsibility and say sorry for the mistakes that have been made.
2: Will you lead the Conservatives into the next general election?
1: I will lead the Conservatives into the next general election.
2: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Times Economics correspondent Arti Natchiapan and Associate Political Editor Henry Zeffman. You can find all of their work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers were James Shield, Olivia Case and Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. Look, if you've got a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to Times at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. I hope.